on, man. We can can go look at some crazy things on the internet together. Everybody, it's Monday, January 9th, 2023. So it is Monday, so I'll be giving my weekend wrap-up of the mainstream media. And this week I'll be talking back to the Sunday Talking Heads on CBS Face the Nation, where Maggie Brennan interviews Rhino Representative Nancy Mace of South Carolina who says she could vote against the hard-fought rules package governing how the House House operates. That's the House of Representatives. Also be checking in on Sunday Morning Propaganda with my favorite feel-good news program, CBS Sunday Morning, where correspondent Mo Rocca looks back at an idea whose distractors regarded as unbelievable stupidity when in the mid-1970s, inflation was so high at 12%, President Gerald Ford instituted a slogan, win, whip inflation now, created by a Madison Avenue ad agency to help put some of the blame of inflation on consumers, sort of like what they're trying to do now. I'll be talking about this, and I'll tear into the Sunday New York Times, showing how the newspaper continually mischaracterizes the facts to mislead the public. So let's get into the headlines. So first up, if you haven't heard, um, Brazilians stormed uh, the House of Congress there um, and the presidential palace. And this is reported from the New York Times. Brazilian authorities clear government offices of rioters Officials say supporters of Bolsonaro had stormed into Congress, presidential offices, and the Supreme Court in the Capitol, building barricades and breaking windows. More than 200 people were arrested. So it is the Brazilian January 6th that took place on January 8th. And of course, the New York Times and most mainstream media uh, go on to say that this is um, exactly that and that these people were uh, spurned on by Trump supporters Um, And I'll just go into uh, the lead here. Um, The great thing about Brazil is they often get millions of people in the streets to protest the government. And they did so recently where uh, the indigenous Brazilians and um, supporters of Bolsonaro went into the streets and claimed fraud in the last election, which put a socialist, a communist, Uh, Lula da Silva back into office after he was removed from office previously when he served as president and was actually jailed for fraud. Um, And those charges were uh, repealed or his record was uh, expunged and so he could uh, run for president once again. At least eight journalists were attacked or robbed by supporters of the former president and that's what um, President Lula arrived at the crime scene So let's get into what they said on January 8th. Brazil's former president, Bolsonaro, criticized the protest, said on Twitter that peaceful demonstrations were part of democracy, but destruction and invasion of public buildings, like what occurred today, were not. He also repudiated President Lula's comments that Bolsonaro bore some of the responsibility for the riots, saying those accusations were without proof. 
And then it goes on. I'm not going to go into this whole article. I just wanted to bring up this big news item that the New York Times um, and many mainstream media outlets are blaming this historic event uh, in Brazil, which rightfully accused um, the state of fraudulently declaring Lula president and that the people erupted in a... Uh, basically a protest for democracy, not against democracy. Like I said, Bolsonaro was a populist president like Trump, whose overwhelming support could be seen in the streets, but somehow he did not uh, make it to victory, even though they had a runoff and all these things. So um, I just wanted to point out this lead story, and of course the New York Times characterizes it as a January 6th, as they did January 6th in this country, in the United States, and they called it uh, a terrible, terrible thing. But let's get into the other news of the weekend. If you didn't know, on Friday, McCarthy, uh, Kevin McCarthy was, after 14 rounds of balloting, was elected Speaker of the House. Why? And the New York Times reports, why McCarthy's slog to Speaker could mean dysfunction ahead in the House. The top Republican already had to work with a teeny majority. Again, characterization here is a teeny majority and an emboldened right flank. Concessions he made to win his Speakership gave the rebels more tools to sow disarray. Uh, it's not. First of all, the people were representing their constituents in their districts. It's their constituents who wanted them to do this and they didn't want to go against the people that got them elected as emily cochran writes here speaker kevin mccarthy of california won his job by bowing to the demands of a, a group of far-right republican dissidents so they're far-right and dissidents and insurgents to overhaul how the house operates effectively diluting his own power while increasing theirs well it is a, 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 see if people don't understand we're going back to the rules that were um, in place before Nancy Pelosi. It's actually Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats that gave her speakership more power. And now we're reverting to the way the rules were before Nancy Pelosi. But of course, um, Emily Cochran isn't going to say this. The protracted floor fight that finally led to his election early on Saturday morning made for his historic and tumultuous start to the 118th Congress, but it was easy to lose sight of why any of it really matter beyond the captivating personal and political drama of the week. And she goes on to say that Democrats still hold the Senate and obviously the Biden administration held the presidential executive branch. That doesn't matter because what it means is as the Tea Party revolt began uh, some time ago, it is coming to a fruition and the Freedom Caucus and the members of the Republican Party who believe in true conservatism, which basically means they want to limit spending, which has got us into $30 trillion of debt and has raised inflation to, oh, inflation subsided to 7%, but this month it'll start compounding upon the 8% of January of last year. So it's 8% compounded by this year of 7%. So speaker drama raises new fears on debt limit. An emboldened conservative flank and concessions made to win the votes could lead to a protracted standoff on critical fiscal issues, risking economic pain. And this is by Jim Tankersley. And I'll just read the lead. Representative Kevin McCarthy of California finally secured the House speakership in a dramatic vote ending around 1230 a.m. on Saturday. But the dysfunction in his own party and the deal he struck 
to win uh, over holdout Republicans also raised the risk of persistent uh, political gridlock that could stabilize American financial system. Of course, they paint a dire picture, even though the true conservatives on the right are trying to stay off a bigger, bigger financial disaster, which is on a precipitous, in a precipitous place because the financial house of cards is with all the debt. If you look at in its totality, all the debt and what we're looking at now, it, it, it's very, very problematic. Um, so we have to do something to uh, to actually save the economic system and save the dollar. And so uh, this January, your dollar is worth seven percent less, or seven cents less than it was a year ago. And a year ago, it was worth eight cents less than it was previously. That's what inflation is, and inflation is caused by deficit spending. Now, he goes on to say, economists, Wall Street analysts, and political observers are warning that the concessions he made to fiscal conservatives, they're not fiscal conservatives. Conservatives are fiscal conservatives. All the shit about traditionalism lumped into conservatism doesn't change the fact that conservatism means fiscal conservatism. Could make it difficult for uh, McCarthy to muster the votes to raise the debt limit. Of course, we need to raise the debt limit for more deficit spending or even put such a measure to a vote. That could prevent Congress from doing the basic tasks of keeping the government open and paying for all the jobs uh, that the government employs, paying the country's bills and avoiding default. Of course, because we have to pass a budget to pay for our debt service, which is about $500 billion per year. What could $500 billion do per year? Nobody talks about that aspect. So then I want to go into, before we go into a little bit more on Kevin McCarthy in the op-ed pages, I want to go a little bit into the original in the newspaper, the original uh, headline here was, for some, the mask maintains its hold. Welcome to the winter of deja vu. Just as masks were coming off and people were getting comfortable with pandemic habits, the triple-demic has brought back some familiar fears and social tensions. This is from Allison Kruger. I won't go into the whole article, but she profiles a bunch of people who still haven't gotten out of their uh, pandemic bubble yet, even though the pandemic is over, we're in an endemic, even though we know at this point all the lies that were told that uh, COVID for the most part was dangerous uh, for people with health problems and the elderly and some elderly, not old elderly, um, elderly people with, um, with health problems, with a lot of elderly people do have health problems, but uh, especially uh, cardiovascular problems uh, and such, but also with people with diabetes and, and what have you. For the most, uh, for the most part, uh, the rollout of the vaccine was, was not needed because for the most part, um, it wasn't that dangerous and it was that on purpose. It was, all this was done on purpose, but people still haven't come out of their bu uh, bubbles like ha Howard Stern. And so it says uh, one, <laughs> one person finally took off their mask to go out to a crowded bar and she got COVID. Okay, first of all, most of the time the mask you're wearing, if it isn't an N95 mask, and even if you're in a crowded setting and you're hugging people and whatnot, um, and you're in a, a closed setting where there isn't ventilation and people are coughing and sneezing or yelling or drunk, and you tend to expectorate more when you're drunk, that she got sick. And then she went to another thing, another crowded, uh, she went on to, and several people went on to um, cruises and stuff, and they ended up getting sick. 
um, you could still get sick. Uh, one person got the flu, but it, it, it goes into this one uh, person here where she got sick. Uh, I want to go into the one thing that she went. Um, yeah, and it goes on to say that there are people, they, they went out finally and got sick. And also, if you're staying at home and you're not going out, you're not building the immunity you need to fight off disease. So it just came as a surprise to me that people are still held into the power of this fear politics, this fear propaganda, and haven't gone out and haven't taken off their masks yet, and which hasn't exposed them to virus, which hasn't allowed them to build up their immunity. And of course, they're probably not taking care of themselves and taking the vitamins they need, and especially in winter, taking enough vitamin D that's gonna build up your immune system. So then I wanted to go into a little bit, uh, if you didn't know, there's this movie coming out, Megan, M3GAN, makes uh, us again and again, who's afraid of dancing robots. In the movie Megan, a robot's dull, sinister virtuosity plays on the mixture of amusement and deep unease that dancing robots often provoke. And then it goes into the movie in the scene, she's, you know, it's another uh, scary robot thing where she goes into this dance routine and then she kills people and it even quotes Seth Rogen uh, talking about how a Boston Dynamics robots uh, dance, and uh, he even, uh, Seth Rogen um, even commented, it would actually be funny if the robots danced as they killed us all. Um, and so it's just, it's making light. It, it talks about the movie ma mainly and about uh, the dance routine, um, but it also goes into the threat of... Um, autonomous robots and the fact that the military is building killer robots. And even though Boston Dynamics um, uh, tells us that they're not building autonomous killer robots, that the the reality is that they are being considered and built through DARPA and through the Defense Department. And that if you watch this movie, Megan, or if you watched other um, like Ex Machina, you know, you could see that um, we're going, and, and with the, the advent of AI, we're going to a very dangerous scenario because we were warned by Stephen Hawking and others that AI could prove to be the end of humanity because the exponential growth of its intelligence and uh, the diabolical nature of the people programming it uh, is going to lead to disaster. And then once we have autonomous robots walking around, um, the whole scenario is very frightening. So we'll go into the opinion pages and we'll go into uh, Catherine Miller here, Kevin McCarthy now has a place in the history books. And she says, what happened this week in Washington, the House of Representatives failing to elect a speaker on the first ballot has only happened 15 times in the last few days during Kevin McCarthy's ongoing, increasingly surreal attempt to become the leader of the House. Two particularly failed votes have come up a lot. The previous one, 1923, and the most drawn out one in 1856. I previously quoted it as 1834, which was wrong. There was a previous one, I think in 1853 and 1856. Um, and then it goes into how this is historic and that how it was wrong. And then Michelle Goldberg, one of our favorite op-ed people of the New York Times goes on, Leopards eat Evan McCarthy's face. As we approach the anniversary of January 6th attack, it has been grimly amusing to see that the party of insurrection can't even manage the orderly transfer of power to itself. Rarely does karma play out so neatly. Of course, she goes on to say, 
Kevin McCarthy nurtured the spirit of reactionary nihilism. It's not really nihilism, it's reactionaryism, but not nihilism because we believe in things and ideology that has purpose and some pragmatism to it, obviously. In the Republican first trying to, process, to harness the energy of the Tea Party for its own ambition and then to his nearly near total capitulation to Donald Trump, now the chaotic forces he abetted have, at least for the moment, derailed his goal of becoming House Speaker. This was uh, written, obviously, before the weekend, subjecting him to multiple public humiliations at what was supposed to be his moment of triumph, which it was anyway, um, because... Uh, there was an, some exacting by the Tea Party and from the Freedom Caucus to, to stop the spending that is ruining the economy and debasing the dollar. Not only that, but it's making, uh, also uh, having to fight uh, the lies in the Democratic Party, leaving the back door open for the communist Chinese and basically running this once great nation into the ditch. But she goes on to write, unable to corral his caucus for what is usually an easy vote, there's no chance... McCarthy would be able to get them on board for a hard ones like keeping the government open and raising the debt ceiling, which is actually the same thing, or plunging the country into default, which won't happen. But raising the debt ceiling is something that only needs to be done if we're raising the debt and we have to raise the debt because we're at 30 trillion, which has to be done through Congress. McCarthy's approach to the far right has always been one of indulgence, Blah, 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 he goes on to say. Robert Draper again, which we, which we featured last week. The longtime Chronicle of Republican Party wrote they represented McCarthy's more entrepreneurial approach to politics seized upon a trend, in this case, government phobia. Put all your money on it and then work hard to make the trend last. McCarthy's persisted in this approach to the Tea Party, involved into Trumpism, evolved into Trumpism, which it did. Trump actually adopted the mantle, earning Trump's patronizing uh, Subrequet, my Kevin. Um, it's not government phobia. The problem is, is the federal government has grown out of control into the behemoth, and as Thomas Hobbes Leviathan, and became the bureaucracy has become the deep state, which the Americans fear, and that had some hand in 9/11. If you care to look into it, if you do, uh, it's crazy conspiracy theory that. You know, some Arabs flew jetliners into buildings and that all the stand down, uh, and we're not going to go and digress into this whole thing uh, about stand down, but first we're going to go into Nancy Mace, this rhino Republican, who um, for all intents and purposes is saying that she's not going to vote to limit spending, uh, and which the left used to um, love. Uh, is to take spending away from the military, which the spending has to be cut. So if you're conservative, and as a Republicanism, first of all, federal spending applied to the military because it's def it's national defense. And that's why Republicans support, uh, supported military spending. But true conservatives don't support spending, period, military or un otherwise. So military spending has to be brought under control. And you should believe this if you're a true conservative. Uh, which uh, Nancy Mace is not a true conservative, as you'll see from this piece. <laughs>
district. Okay. I represent a purple district. I have to represent Republicans, Democrats, and independents. Congresswoman, thank you. I am a huge dog fan. <laughs> One of the Republican members of Congress who was with Speaker McCarthy on all votes, that's Nancy Mace of South Carolina. 14 times the hard right faction of your party refused to vote for Kevin McCarthy even after he was making repeated concessions to them. <laughs> You saw democracy on full display, and I think that's mm -hmm. a healthy to have that kind of debate. Some would say it wasn't so much democracy as it was dysfunction. Sometimes democracy is messy. The Wall Street Journal editorial page was pretty scathing. It said, don't believe the happy talk. This was a healthy display of deliberative democracy. It was a power play. A group of backbenchers saw an opportunity to exploit the narrow GOP margin of five seats to put themselves in positions of power. Uh, if this rules package passes with all the concessions that Speaker McCarthy made, um, this will leave you beholden, won't it? Um, there are some very great, good ideas in there, like the 72-hour rule, having three days to read a bill before it comes to the floor for a vote, having a path to balance the budget over the next 10 years, and ensuring that there are spending off at offsets, especially with mandatory spending. If you're going to increase in one area, then you have to de decrease in another. But I will tell you, when I ran for Congress two years ago, I won by one point. <laughs> there ran to be a new Nancy in the House. What? Take. Okay. I represent a purple district. I have to represent Republicans, Democrats, and independents. I had asked you initially about the rules package, which is published and would be voted on tomorrow. Right. Um, are you saying that you're right. going to withhold your vote? I am considering that as an option right now. It reportedly includes a pledge that would likely uh, require a $75 billion cut to national security funding. Do you support that part of it? <laughs> I don't want to see defense cuts. The speaker has reportedly given the Freedom Caucus, that ultra-conservative faction, uh, a third of the seats on the powerful rules committee, which controls which bills make it to the floor. You've called Matt Gates, one of its members, a political D-lister and a fraud. What? You sparred with Marjorie Taylor Greene. What? don't want to see defense cuts. As someone who represents uh, a lot of centrists, a lot of independents, I have as many independents and Democrats as I have Republicans. I'm pro-life, uh, but I have many exceptions. That was easy, huh? I understand you are a dog fan. All right. Yeah, she's not much of a Republican at all. As like you said, she represents a purple district and she's got independents and Democrats that she's representing, not necessarily Republican ideals. And so she's just worried about getting re getting reelected, and she's not a conservative uh, like Marjorie Taylor Greene said to begin with. And she's I guess she's not that pro life. Um, she probably used that to get elected. But let's go on to the nature of the problem at hand, which is inflation and how your dollar is becoming worth less, and how wages aren't keeping up with inflation, and how. Um, in the 1970s, Gerald Ford tried to take advantage of the American public like they're doing now and try to convince them that it's the consumer's fault, the American public's fault, and that the American public has to do something about inflation, not government, not the government, and not government spending. So let's look at um, this report by Mo Rocca on the crazy, <laughs> the crazy um, slogan of win that we're trying to convince people that inflation can be fought by the consumer. 2023 is starting off with inflation. A rapidly deteriorating economy. 
right now inflation is bad, but 12%, I mean, that's crazy. We must whip inflation right now. Just two months after becoming president, Ford addressed a joint session of Congress about the urgent economic situation. That our inflation, our public enemy number one, will, unless whipped, destroy our country. There was, however, a button. Short for whip inflation now, the phrase had a down-home ring to it and had been dreamed up by the same New York ad agency responsible for one of the most successful campaigns in advertising history. Soon, the Win logo was everywhere. So here we have a Win coffee cup. It says Win on one side and then whip inflation now on the other side. And so a company actually put together a win victory garden, and the advertisement was that if you bought this garden set for $10, you could save $290 in growing your own vegetables. Who needs inflation, not this nation? Individual consumers should be enlisted in the fight. Conserving energy, not wasting food, planting gardens, taking measures that individually would help someone's budget, but taken collectively might also help to hold down prices. What? But Ford's top economic advisors, like future Federal Reserve Chair Alan Greenspan, were deeply skeptical. He later called the idea unbelievable stupidity. <laughs> After unveiling the wind button to Congress, Ford hit the road to take the program. The first words I can remember in my dad's house. Reporters were expecting details. What they got was a litany of homespun tips. When you aren't using them, turn off the lights, turn off the television, turn off the radio, turn off the water, use less hot water. What? The speech was widely panned. Let us get this straight on your program, please. What has been abandoned, and for good reason, is the acronym WIN. It didn't have policy behind it. It didn't have any teeth. It was just sort of an ad campaign. In the end, WIN didn't whip anything. <laughs> Many major banks raised their prime lending rate to 17% today. Inflation remained high until the 1980s when the Federal Reserve hiked interest rates to record highs, bringing on a punishing recession. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry to say is that it's the same way now, is that the only thing that's going to get inflation under control is to raise interest rates and that's going to possibly and has seemed to bring in a recession um, because for the wonderful times of uh, deficit spending where they spread money around and people can sit home and get you know checks uh, four or five hundred dollars a week for sitting around at home and playing video games um, now it's time to pay the piper and the only way to get inflation under control is to raise interest rates, which is going to bring on recession, uh, and possibly even worse, possibly even worse uh, economic times ahead. 
Um, and all for what? Uh, for spending when there wasn't really a need for it. And that particularly exacerbates inflation when there's no need for the spending, and particularly when it's deficit spending, which we're, we're in right now. And deficit spending, if you didn't know, means when you spend more money than you take in through tax revenue. So we're at $30 trillion of debt. A lot of that is owned by foreign adversaries. And, um, you know, we're in a terrible economic situation not just here in the United States, but globally, so. All right, so for me, Rudy's Revelation. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and click that notification bell. Leave a comment down below, and um, follow me on social media, uh, Twitter, Facebook. Get her in mind. See you tomorrow. This is a conspiracy. The New World Order. You can't handle the truth.